is to be dependent on your truth. Lord, as we study the, the scripture together, Lord, help us to stay fixed on interpreting the Bible according to the way you've designed it. In your name we pray, amen. This morning to take your Bible and turn to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 2, we have been going through an exposition of the study of Paul's address to Pastor Timothy in the Ephesian church. So perhaps you're here for the first time and, and uh, you're just jumping into the midst of this study with us. Uh, let me just kind of bring you up to speed. There were various challenges that were going on in the Ephesian church, one of which, uh, a large challenge in which Paul addresses to Timothy to know how to handle is the amount of false teaching that was going on in the midst of the church. You would be able to walk back through uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and recognize this urgency that he gives to a doctrine of a teaching that he describes as a teaching that is not consistent and is a different gospel altogether. In fact, he urges Timothy, as the pastor of the Ephesian church, to challenge these false teachers in such a way that it was commanded to him, you've got to, you, you must stop them from teaching this kind of different gospel that cannot save people. He goes on to help us recognize the, the importance of this, this teaching of the gospel, the true gospel, and the urgency to pray for all leaders and for pray for those, those who are in authority. And he even describes levels of, of his own journey of faith in the book of 1 Timothy where he described himself as a former blasphemer, one who, as he even spoke to Timothy, would be able to say something like, really stop them from teaching this, this, this false gospel, but remember, your teaching, our aim is love, is not to hate the teacher, but to bring a truth to these false teachers, and even those who were blasphemers like myself, he's saying to Timothy, can be redeemed. What a glorious message that Paul reminds us of his own journey of faith, and perhaps it intersects with your life and your journey of faith as well. You hear in testimonies of baptism, which is so glorious, the, the, the testimony of who a person was when they didn't have Jesus Christ and the work of the Spirit through repentance and faith, and then who they are now. Paul does exactly that in the book of 1 Timothy. He does so to remind them of, of the nature of the gospel and its transformative power in the life of the Christian and desired for Timothy as a pastor to retain a sensitive disposition out of love and affection for his congregation and even those who were enemies of the very gospel that he would preach that he would say through this, and in the midst of all of this, this, this reality, that the gospel was preached and, he would, and the gospel would be honored. Now, as we've been walking through a text like this, one thing that we can begin to, we can begin to understand is that we, we come to levels of his teaching and instruction that were somewhat controversial in nature. 
And we embarked on a study this last week as we came to the text of Scripture in 1 Timothy 2, verses 11 and 12, that said this, let a woman learn, uh, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. We now come and are in a time period, as we had mentioned even last week, in a culture that would hear words of submission and hear words of, of roles, distinctions in roles. And we even recognized last week that there's various categories or names that are placed for these particular viewpoints. One of them was, of course, what we stand for here at the chapel and what we agree with is a complementarian view, which simply, by reminder, is that, you are, that, that men and women are equal image bearers before God, which means that who they have been made to be reminds us of a call in Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 1 where, where God said, let us make man and woman in our image after our likeness. In complementarianism, they are equal in image, but we recognize from texts like 1 Timothy that there is a distinction in roles. And that distinction in roles is not a 21st century re, uh, 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 situation. It was a situation, as we're going to see today, that was based upon a higher order that was designed by God himself. And of course, we have the alternative viewpoint, an egalitarian viewpoint, which simply says both men and women are equal in image, but there is no distinction between the roles. And this is why I come up before you today, and even preceding this, saying it is significant and important that we learn and know how to interpret the Bible. In the context appropriate according to the way God intends the Bible to be interpreted, a grammatical, historical, contextual viewpoint that then helps us understand one main objective. What is the author trying to say to his intended audience? And that is our goal in Bible interpretation, to understand what God said to us, but we can only get to what it says to us if we understand what it says to them. And then make the jump to say, here's what we ought to do about that. But as we look into this text, one of the reasons for Bible interpretation, and even offering a class of Bible study methods, is because so often people play fast and loose with the way they, they interpret the Bible. They want to interpret the Bible on levels of their own, uh, their own culture. Since they've experienced something, that now tends to, at times, color an interpreter's lens or the lens from which they view whatever interpretation they come up with. That has certainly been true, as we mentioned last week. When you can have different people in different cultures with different influences, such as a feministic ideology, and say, I'm never letting a man have authority over me. That's tantamount to slavery and abuse. And we have to ask the question as Bible interpreters and Bible students, is that what he's trying to say? That is he trying to enslave women of all time and subject them under the authority of every man possible so that they live some miserable, subjugated life and say, well, I'm just a woman. Ladies, please 
hear and understand the truth of the scripture that you, as well as men, are created in the image of the living God, fully capable and intellectual and emotional and a person who can understand the deep truths of the word of God. Hear the calling from last week that, that spills over into our text today, that, that Paul would command Timothy, let women learn. Be a learner. Be a learner of the deep truths of the living God. We may even come to this interpretive situation as we have walked through the text on modesty and the importance of of dressing in a way that's reflective of the right heart. You remember us going through that. And so often people will come to uh, to the text that we are in today dealing with the role distinctions between men and women in the church and they'll say something like this interpretively. Well, since... Women can clearly wear pearls and have braided hair, and that was cultural. Therefore, by extension then, the role distinctions must be a cultural thing as well. And therefore, when we come to the role distinctions, we should just say, well, that was the culture of Paul's time, and what Paul is now doing through, their, through a lens of interpretation is saying, in our day and age, in Ephesus, right now, women shouldn't teach at this point in time, but if they move further along, then somehow they should be able to do that. That's a, that's a logical question that many come to as they come to this text. And our question that we, that we come to this morning is, what is the reason why the role distinctions become an essential part of church instruction? Why would God see so fit to say through Paul, through inspiration, because this does have to impact the way we think about this. When we come to an application, it's not just Paul speaking to a culture in Ephesus. This is God saying something through Paul, to to Timothy, to the people of Ephesus, under the inspiration and authority of the scripture. And how far does that authority extend? Is there only a cultural sense of authority for that time only? I would say no. Because of the text that we're in today, he grounds this truth of role distinctions and a complementarian perspective that men and women are equal image bearers but have a distinction in difference between the role that God has chosen each one of them to take. Look at verse 13 and 14 with me, the text that we're in this morning. Right after saying, let a woman learn quietly with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man, rather as she is to remain quiet, he says this, for Adam was formed first, and then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived, and then became a transgressor. Now the real question that gets posited by this particular text of scripture is something like this. What was the reason why Paul would prohibit women in the the church of Ephesus from being teachers in the body? It's a legitimate interpretive question. One of which different viewpoints often come to play. Some would answer that question who hold an egalitarian viewpoint and say something like this, that the reason behind the role distinctions within the body would equate to something like this. Someone will hold this. 
Some argue that Paul placed limitations on women because the women lacked education, specifically theological training. Now, if that were the case, it was a lack of education, which is what they posit, then we just educate them and then the distinctions go away because now they're educated, therefore we can then say it's okay. That would be a pers- uh, one person's interpretation. Another would say something like this, that would argue that Paul is arguing for the reason for prohibiting women is because they're teaching error and they're teaching heresy. It's fascinating, interesting in the book of 1 Timothy that all the people who were noted for teaching heretical viewpoints were men. And so when you think about what's going on in the life of 1 Timothy, he's saying, why would he say, well, there's no women teaching heretical viewpoints, but we're going to tell them it's because you're teaching heretical viewpoints. Well, that certainly can't be the case. Others would say this. Well, it's just a first century illustration because contextually in Ephesus, some would argue of the egalitarian perspective that Ephesus was home to the ancient feminism that was taught, prior, uh, that taught the priority of Eve. Specifically, that Eve taught Adam, and this provides the backdrop for Paul's limited instruction. Here's the argument that they will, that they will pose. When you look back, in accordance to the connection of creation, it will say that when Eve was presented this opportunity to to be deceived and tempted by the serpent, she succumbed to that temptation, and she came back to Adam, and she taught him what he was now supposed to do. And as a result of that, the, the Ephesian issue was more about ancient feminism And the priority of Eve in which Paul is trying to dispel and say, no, that's not the case. And so people would take three different, egalitarian views would take three different perspectives. Not always do they take all of them, but they often take one of them. The most notable one that often gets introduced is the illustration or the idea that this is a first century context and therefore not transcultural in its principle, meaning it's not a principle that stands for all time since creation. And our duty this morning is to look at what Paul says to Timothy and the argumentation that he gives for the role distinctions to come to a conclusion, is, it, is this a transcultural principle that should stand for all time in all churches because God ordained it that way? And then we have to be submissive, which I will argue to you that we must be submissive not to our own persuasion or lens of our culture, but to the interpretation which God himself has revealed through insp- inspiration and secured and fixed by referring to creation order. And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. You're thinking you're a visitor for the first time. You're thinking, oh my, I didn't realize I was getting into this. Well, here we are in a text and we just go verse by verse And so you caught us on a day where we teach verse by verse, and this is in the text. And for the sake of our people, and for the sake of right interpretation, we don't say, oh, this is going to be a tough one, or this is going to perhaps upset people, so let's just kind of skip that and let people decide on their own. God has something to say about everything. 
And we must be people who are receptive to what God says about anything. And that humility for the Christian believer is a, is, is, a, is a mark, a disposition that they have to submit themselves to the truth. And that's all we're trying to do here at Cape Bible Chapel, is we're trying to submit our ways and our practices and our beliefs to the Bible and allow God to tell us what we should believe and what we should practice. Because otherwise, if that were not the case, all we would teach is somebody's interpretation of what it, whatever it is, the theology of, of the, the flavor of theology of the month, or whatever, whatever political disposition happens to be of the month, and all of a sudden, we get pulled away further from Scripture. What we're concerned about is what does God say? And I hope that's you in the life of your Bible study, in the life of your own family worship, in the life of your Bible reading and devotions. Your goal is to say, what does God say? And, and, and to pray that you would be given and have a heart of humility to receive it and apply it and live it out and be unashamed. We stand before you today as a church saying we are unashamedly complementarian because of a text of scripture that confines us to the created order of God's design, not by some personal impulse or, or desire to, to submit women in an unnecessary way. I think you'll see that. In, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he transitions from this previous command. I command you, Timothy, let women learn. I prohibit, I do, I do not prohib, permit a woman to teach. Okay, and we mentioned the quietness is in reference to the teaching authority of, of, of those elders and the men. There, there was a distinction that he had given. There is a submission, a submissiveness in attitude that should be had, which is why she, they, uh, Paul says to Timothy, don't allow them to usurp authority. And now he says four. Now, so often in the text, you think, you, you will read over this particular adverbial clause and say, well, what's the big deal? Four is four is four. That's what they say in golf. Who cares? But in reality, what we see in the text is that most often and notably, especially in the pastoral epistles, 33 times Paul uses an adverbial clause to express the reason behind a previous command. He'll say, here's the command, here's the reason why the command is important. And he will go through that, and out of those occasions, the most, the, the most consistent interpretation that you see in Paul's ministry is that he states command and reason, command and reason. Which means the interpreter comes to the text of this one single adverbial statement of this connective word for and has to determine two th one of two things. Paul is either saying that the reason that the command he just gave is because of the created order of things, it's instructive because of creation, or it's illustrative because of the context of the Ephesian church. And whichever of those two positions that you tend to hold gravitates you to either complementarianism or egalitarianism. And on that hinge point of his interpretation, he uses this adverbial causative statement for. 
But what if you don't take it that way? Well, it certainly tends to, as we would say, distort a level of the straightforward interpretation. In fact, one author, one theologian who is writing this, uh, says this. He says, those who adhere to the egalitarian position argue that the four introducing verse 13 and 14 indicates not reasons why women should refrain from teaching, but illustrations or examples of what happens when women falsely teach men. Another individual who holds to this persuasion goes and posits this, this direct interpretation as a result of the way they take it illustratively and say, and say this. Well, Eve's, Eve functions then in this, in this statement of Paul as a type of the rich Ephesian woman and Adam as a type of the teachers, the false teachers, or Adam is a type of the teachers. Thus, the teachers, like Adam, are formed first in the spiritual sense of being older in the faith and possessing a more accurate understanding of the Old Testament. While certainly a creative reading of the text, it does not qualify for a plausible argument. And notice in the interpretation, this is a type of this. Now you get away from interpreting the text literally the way that the Ephesian believers and Timothy the pastor and Paul who was writing it intended for this to be understood and received. This is not just a type. This is not just an illustration. And we can't just make a comparison of women are illustrative of this and the men are illustrative of the teachers. What we're saying is that Paul is deliberate on his articulation of this single truth about creation. Now, he says this one simple phrase in verse 13. Adam was formed first and then Eve. Now, when the authors of the Bible, take note of this as a Bible student and a Bible-focused individual, that when God whether it's Jesus or the apostles, say something like, that's not how it was from the beginning. He is deliberately making a stance that is fixed in God's created design. It is not only here that we find this kind of uh, this kind of statement, for example, in Jesus in Matthew 19, where the, where the teachers were coming to him, the Pharisees were talking about the subject of divorce, and Jesus makes a statement and says in Matthew 19, this is not how it was from the beginning. Now, what he's trying to do is to say, you have no right to confuse what God created. Kind of sounds like a culture we live in doesn't it? And that is what is going on today. They are taking what, a desire to take what God has created and now confuse it and make it mean something else. When he uses created order to define a fixed principle, that is a way the interpreter and Jesus himself, the way he interpreted the Bible, use this to say there is authority in created design. I cannot just say marriage is whatever I want to say it is. I cannot say a person, biologically male or female, is just whatever they say they want to be. 
Because creation order stamps an authoritative reality on what God has done. And so we must, as people, come to the text and realize that created order was always used when, when it was given. It was given again in 1 Corinthians 11. And he says, this is not how it was. Adam was this and Eve was this. And he refers right back to created order. So the text and the four, Adam was created first, cannot be illustrative. It is causative. It is the reason. It is the basis upon which the previous command is given that men and women should have distinct roles while they retain an equality in their image-bearing capacities. It is causative. It is that basis upon which that structure for the church is given. And if you look in 1 Timothy 3, as we've stated through the course of our, of our study of this text, that was the purpose that he wrote to Timothy, that you might know how to function in the household of God. So it is, it is we, we should note that when he does this, it's not out of the norm of what Paul is addressing. He's trying to give them order. And it is the nature, by the way, of sinful people. Do you notice this in your own life? To reject order and seek independence. See, even the interpretation from the lens of a, of, a, of a feministic ideology that has occurred over the last 40 to 50 years of our culture, is that when the problem began? I think not. The problem began from the very beginning, which is why Paul would say, we gotta go back to created order to solidify what God originally intended. Remember the pre-fall announcement in Genesis chapter one. After every single day, it was good, it was good, it was good, it was good. God had called the man to lead. He had called the woman to be a helper. And after that, he affirms it by saying, and all of these things were very good. So what that means, as we think about this context of, of complementarianism and the egalitarian perspective that often says that role distinctions were a result of the fall, we have to ask, is Paul going after the fall, starting with after the fall, or is he starting with creation itself? And what we see in this statement is, for Adam was, was formed first and then Eve. He's going back to created order as a basis upon which all of these claims are made because even before sin had entered into the world and there were two equal image bearers before God and distinctive roles for the men and women, it was very good according to God. Don't lose sight of that because that is the thread of interpretation that Paul is, is through inspiration is calling us to consider. That's what he's saying. Go with what God originally designed. You know what? I think it goes to stand to simply say, like, don't go for some cheap knockoff version of whatever one, what someone wants to say about it. Go with the original intent. We say go with the original design. That is how God desires. And Paul said, God, he said, Adam was formed first. Paul uses a lot of terminology when he talks about being created new in Christ Jesus. And yet here, he uses a very particular word. Uh, the, the word for being formed is, is to recall the creation account. 
He used other words that you were created new in Christ Jesus, and he used an entirely different terminology to state that. You were a new believer, a new creation in Christ, and all things have been passed away, and behold, all things have become new. But here, he used the word formation, the word form, to recall and reflect in our minds to say, what did God do at the beginning? So all these textual markers I'm showing you along this journey of interpreting this text is he's pushing us backward, pushing us back to God's original intent over and over and over again. Adam was formed first, and then Eve. The recipients of this particular book would have understood the priority of the firstborn, the firstborn with the first right, with the level of first responsibility. In fact, if you look in the Bible, even though Adam and Eve both had fallen into sin, who was the one who, hold, who is, is, is accountable for the fall of humanity? Go to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, where he says, By one man sin came into the world, and death passed upon all men so that all sinned. He didn't say because Eve did that. He said because Adam did that. And he refers again back to, some cre- back to the created order because that is fixed. He wants to reason by way of creation. Now, what does that mean, Adam was formed first? Well, it's just simple, isn't it? Let's just take a straightforward reading of the text. God created him first, and then there was no one else. And God put him through this scenario in Genesis chapter 2, and he had given him instruction, and you can turn there, and it says a man put, put, Adam, put the man in the, in the garden where he had placed him, and he had given him instruction uh, to tend and keep the garden, and he gave him one tree that he should not eat. By nature of that instruction, even preceding Eve's entrance onto the original scene, you have a role responsibility that was dictated by God to Adam that he would then lead his helper to realize their necessity for dependence on God versus independence from God. All the way from the beginning. This firstborn, this first individual, and he's trying to help us recognize that Adam was formed first and then Eve. Now, let's just say this. that The first reason he gives for role distinctions is creation, okay? And and it's important because when we think about uh, this reality in our lives, in our context of church ministry, we have to remember this main idea, right? That God has designed the function of women in the assembly to reflect the foundation of his created order. He did that. I didn't come up with that. People in the past didn't come up with that. God did that. It is our job to humble ourselves in light of that to that understanding as a reason or the reason that Paul gives for that. Now, when we think about it, Adam being created and formed first, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. This has to inform our interpretation. And the challenge for us is, So often today, the confusion and complication of the interpretation of this comes by nature of looking at the text through a different cultural lens, our lens. A lens by which often we fall prey to interpreting the Bible, say, well, I just don't like how that makes me feel as a woman. They're making me feel inferior 
But that's not what the text is saying. The text is not saying because Adam was formed first, therefore man is superior and women are inferior. He's simply giving a basis upon which the roles in the church were supposed to be clearly defined and the reason behind that definition. And the reason he gives is creation. Man was called to do this, created for this, and called to lead, and women were called to be a helpmate, and they were called to submit and follow. We have to come to that with some level, with with a large degree of submission and humility to say, I'm okay with God telling me that. If you're a lady here, you have to be okay with God saying, this is the reason why he distinguishes roles, although I am an equal image bearer before the Lord. And by way of application of this particular reason and the rationale of the roles, because Adam was created first and then Eve, we have to really understand Complementarianism seeks to display unity and diversity. Unity and diversity at the same time in respect to individual roles in which God himself has ordained. If all of a sudden we say, well, I don't want to unite or I, don't, uh, I, I want to be independent of all of that, now you get into a dangerous zone to say, I will tell God what he means when he says something, and you put yourself over the text instead of under submission to the text. That's what we seek to display here. That's what we do display here at Cape Bible Chapel, a desire for men and women with equal image-bearing capacities to serve in their respective roles in a way that pleases our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's so critical. It's critical because of obedience. It's critical because of creation. That we follow these things no matter what's going on in the life of our culture. Paul uses the first to indicate that God designed a level of authority in the role of the man, or among men in the relationship both in the marriage and in the home as well as the church. The idea that somehow this superiority, inferiority idea comes out, I would would steer you against that. Because he's not saying men are superior. Clearly, ladies, you've been around us men for quite some time and, and rub shoulders with a number of men. You know that there is a level of, of, of struggle with various kinds of things, just as we know we've been around many ladies and realize that all of us struggle with a common perspective, which is depravity. And we all struggle with sin, but even in the struggle with sin, but preceding the struggle with sin, God designed the roles. So it cannot be a result of the fall. It has to be a result of the way God created things. Male leadership within the church does not not appear to mean that women are somehow supposed to be muzzled. That somehow we say, you know, as we said last week, we don't have a male ministry of shushing. We just don't. It's not necessary. Because he's not calling them in all occasions to keep quiet in every circumstance. He's saying, don't usurp authority, but there are limitations on that authority, and the limitation is teaching, which is why we 
prohibit that and we fall in line with what 1 Timothy says. That first reason is the distinction of creation. But he gives another one. The reality of a church in a fallen world. And he begins to understand that after creation, that creation and the fall actually display at different times a a distortion of what God originally intended. Notice this text in verse 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Notice the dominant theme of this, deception. It just permeates this verse. Adam was not deceived, Eve was deceived, then she became a transgressor. Adam and Eve's behavior, by the way, at the fall, says something about the respective roles men and women play in the church. That's what he's arguing. Because of what God did, And because of what we see, and because even what the fall illustrates, a distortion or a moving away from those roles that God originally intended, it got them in trouble. In a sense, you could look at verse number 13 and say, you can go back, okay, what's the historical reference? Verse 13, your historical reference is Genesis 2, and verse 14, your historical reference is Genesis 3. Okay, that's where he's making those distinctions, to call you back to creation. Now, the deception, what about this deception that occurred at the fall? Now, often what's get posed in this reality is this question. Adam wasn't deceived, but the woman was deceived. Are we to read that as some would read it and say, well, this tells us something about the nature of women that we otherwise didn't know. They're either more gullible, susceptible to various forms of deviation or deception in their life. Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. Some would argue that because that the woman was deceived. Well, guess what? Here's the reality that the text straightforward says. It doesn't say that Adam didn't sin or that Adam somehow wasn't deceived at some level from sin, but he wasn't deceived first. And part of that was Eve was deceived, and he, in, in the text it uses uh, the, the word deceived and then puts an emphasis on the second one. Adam was not deceived, but, but Eve was thoroughly deceived by the serpent. On every measure of depth that she was thinking through the issue and gra- grappling with what God said to do and what not to do, she was thoroughly deceived by the, by the serpent by, that, by the Satan who, who represented himself through that serpent in the garden, and she was thoroughly deceived. Now she goes back in the historical account of Genesis 3, and it says she took it and she gave it to her husband who was with her. Well, the reality is that what he is saying here is that not only do you have created order pre-fall, that argues for role distinctions, but you have a second reason for role distinctions in the church, and it's this. It's that Eve was deceived first. Now, what was that that happened between Adam and Eve? That Adam was somehow this individual who was no longer culpable, and some would argue, say, well, it was Eve that actually plunged us in humanity to sin and death. Or, or Eve's uh, ability to, to steer Adam uh, in a certain direction, and therefore illustrative. But he's simply trying to pull to our attention that pre-fall 
that he created things with order, and that deception that, deception that occurred by even the, in the serpent and the, and, and the deception that would eventually lead Adam to sin as well was a lack of following. Adam was sinful at that, after he took the fruit. Adam did follow his, his wife, did follow the instruction, and that is not the way God intended it to be. Remember, he gave the instruction to Adam not to take of the fruit even before Eve was created. Therefore, his calling was lead her in a loving, God-honoring, gentle way, but lead her to the truth. And there's a reason why Satan would go to the second person created. And when Adam followed Eve's, uh, when Adam would follow Eve's deception in the sense that, that Eve took the fruit and now he took the fruit, there was a distortion of, of the way that roles were supposed to be played out in the, in the creation design. And what he's trying to say here as a reason for this calling of women within the church is because creation supports the role distinction and the fall was a, dist- was a distortion of the result of, those dis- of, of them not leading and doing what God told them to do in their respective roles. Now, when we, begin to s- when we see these reasons, we understand the power of this in light of what Paul is saying because now we have grounds or a basis for which to say, God did this at original creation and part of the sin at the beginning was a distortion of those roles. A distortion from the way God intended men to lead. And when Adam would not lead well, then these things happen. Now that doesn't mean by extension, I say things like, you know, I hope you don't do this in your own home as you're in the home and there's authority and role structures that all of a sudden your wife starts to try to, you know, give some rationale to a very good logical conclusion and you don't go, hold on, pull out your Bible for a minute. Could you read, you know, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 and 14? Like, I can't listen to you. You know what Eve did and you're just Eve in different clothes. You don't do that. And we don't do that in the church either. We recognize that there is a right, respectful way that doesn't usurp authority, that, there, that allows for a conversation with the right humility within the context of the roles to take place. This is not a, a, a diminishing of, of women's voice within the body. It is submission to God's original design. That's what it is. And when we do that, by the way, Aren't we always benefited from going with God's original design? Every time we go away and stray away from God's intended order, humanity gets themselves in trouble. And it is our desire to not get ourselves in trouble with God by following the simple, straightforward understanding of why he would make roles the way he did even within the church. This is so critical for us. He says, Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. We know that Adam was held responsible as the one who was, who was created first. He was the one who, who Paul says, plunged all humanity by one man's sin came into the world, and so death passed upon all men. Adam was that representative. He, would, he didn't follow the original design and lead the way God has called him to do. 
And this now, these role distinctions, we see as God's perfect order and understanding that two people would submit themselves, both men and women, to the roles God designed and say, I'm okay with the role that you've given to me based upon my gender. It's okay for God to do that with his creation. We get in trouble when we, get to, when we all of a sudden tell God what to do with his creation. Don't go there. Stick with this straightforward perspective because God is not saying just because you're the follower, just because you submit, that that's a bad thing. That's an opportunity to, sh- to show a very, a very incredible perspective of the submission of Christ to the will of the Father. These role distinctions are critical. And so when we come to it, as we think of these uh, roles, remember this. God has designed the function of women in the assembly to reflect the foundation of created order, God's created order, not what man thinks about God's created order, okay? This helps us. It helps us to remember in all of these ways, these kind of, this is what, we don't, this is what we're not saying. Women are not to be muzzled in the sense that they're never allowed to speak, Husbands, please don't do this to your wives, and we're not doing it as leaders here. Hey, we don't want to hear what you have to say. Many ladies through the course of time in in pastoral ministry have said, I got a question. Like, well, that's great, because we want you to learn, and we want you to understand, and we want you to ask those questions. You're not relegated to say, well, I can't even ask. Ask, so that you can know, and you can be obedient, and you can live in appropriate ways to the design that God has created. That's critical. It also means, by the way, that what we're saying from the interpretation of 1 Timothy 2, 11 to 14 is that what we're also saying is that when he says let women, he's not saying wives. That somehow that it gives this impression that if you want to talk as a woman, you got to enter in through your husband and then you can be allowed through him as a mouthpiece to say something. He's not giving that because he's saying women, not wives. Okay, so it's okay for us to dialogue, and you can dialogue with all those with w- between men and women, and leaders and other uh, ladies in the church, and you can do so in a humble way that doesn't distort what God says to Timothy or the created design. It also means that the text does not mean that they're prohibiting women from teaching just because they were uneducated. That cannot be the case. Because in Titus, he, t- he calls women to teach their children and to teach other young ladies. If that was the case, that interpretation would make no sense at all. You've got to learn, you've got to be deep in your understanding because you will dispense that theology and through the forms of discipleship to other ladies and to your household as well. The text, I, I cannot reinforce this enough, but it's so critical. What he's calling us to is a humble disposition before God to accept whatever God designs in the church. And that's hard sometimes. But it is the right, it is the right stance to have to say, whatever God says, that is what I will do. Okay? And for our ladies here, hear me say again, be a theologically minded woman who can teach other ladies and involve themselves in so many areas of the church for the sake of the glory of God. That is what is at stake. God's design, God's glory. 
our submission so that we eventually don't start trying to live outside or independent from God. It will get us in trouble. Let's stay with being dependent on God's truth. That's what we seek to do here. That's what we are trying to display even in the midst of of, of our obedience to the role distinctions in the church of men and women. And that's what Timothy is calling us to. And then next week, uh, Pastor Ben is going to be covering this last last section of women uh, dealing with being saved through childbearing. Because I know you've been waiting to hear what in the world that means. And he is going to satisfy all of your interpretive, inquisitive questions so that you can walk away going, yes, I finally got it. He will do that. And if he doesn't, don't come to me. Go to him. (laughs) I'm just saying in the right direction. But the chapel, let's love the truth. Let's commit ourselves to the way that we interpret the Bible, to a clear, literal reading of the text so that we obey God's original intent and, and, and place dependence on God. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your kindness to us, that you would, would be so gracious to give us a revealed truth, Lord, that does reveal an equality in image. Lord, that men and women both were those who had, who had been created in the image of God and after your likeness and have this deep ability to know the truth, to love the truth, to obey the truth. Both men and women possess this. Lord, and you saw fit, according to your incredible wisdom, to define roles within men and women that you fixed at creation for our benefit and that even extended that there is a benefit to this within the church. And so we practice that and obey it and desire for our lives to be dependent on your truth. Lord, as we study the the scripture together, Lord, help us to stay fixed on interpreting the Bible according to the way you've designed it. In your name we pray, amen.